Who are the most valuable players in fantasy baseball this year? We'll ask a panel of experts from BaseballHQ.com next on Baseball HQ Radio. on the way, a swing and a belt, left field, way back, Blue Jays win it, the Blue Jays are World Series champions, as Joe Carter hits a three-run home run in the ninth inning, and the Blue Jays... Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host, from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of September the 29th and show number 35 of the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host. I'm very pleased that you could join us today for our BaseballHQ.com roundtable to wrap up the 2012 Fantasy Baseball season. We'll be talking about the most valuable players, our Cy Young picks for both leagues, our Rookies of the Year in both leagues. We'll also talk about some players who were big flops this year. Always fun to talk about that as well as our big fantasy story for the year, and we'll close with some breakout picks for 2013. Let's get started by meeting our panel. Our first guest is the founder of BaseballHQ.com and our Master Notes commentator here at Baseball HQ Radio all season long, it's Ron Chandler. Hey Patrick, it's great to be on again. One last time, Ron, uh, next the managing editor of BaseballHQ.com and speculator columnist Ray Murphy. Excited to be here, Patrick. And from the West Coast, team analyst and news director at BaseballHQ.com, it's Jock Thompson. Hey, PD. Hey, guys. Good to be here. And finally, a voice familiar to Baseball HQ radio listeners, our regular American League analyst and Market Pulse commentator, Matt Beagle. One more time. One more time for old times, Matt and everybody. It's great to have you here. And I'd like to start off by talking about the fantasy big story of the year. Something that happened, not a player, of course. Mike Trout had a big year, and we all know it. But we're looking here for a story that is about the larger picture of fantasy baseball, affected this year and may go on to affect how we play the game in future years. And let's start with BaseballHQ.com publisher and founder Ron Chandler. Well, uh, looking back over the pre- over the past season, I think the biggest story for me is what I'd, I'd probably call the bullpen Armageddon. Uh, in the baseball forecaster, we've been tracking closer volatility since about 1999, because every year there are a certain number of closers that lose their jobs, and on the average, that's about 10 closers a year loses their lose their jobs. But this year. Since the end of the 2011 season, 23 out of the 30 bullpens have seen the turnover in their closers role. And since the beginning of draft season, the beginning of March, of those 23 that was turnover, 18 lost their jobs since the beginning of draft season. So if fantasy leaguers draft any, drafted any of those 18, they took a huge loss this year, and that's a huge turnover. Uh, since 1999, there has been only one season that was even remotely close. That was 2003, when 17 closers lost their job after draft day, but 18 this year. So just think about this list now. Anybody who invested in Rivera, Bell, Farnsworth, Matson, Storin, Walden, Bailey, Marmol, Santos, League, Wilson, Soria, Thornton, Caps, Myers, Gara, Fuentes, or Pestano, all guys who were projected for at least 10 saves this year, you took a loss. And anybody who backed into or who was astute enough to draft guys like Rodney, Soriano, Chapman, Clippard, Williamson, Reed, Aceves, Casilla, Balfour, Frieri, Jansen, Perkins, Ciszek, Cooker, Romo, you ended up with unexpected profit. And that's a huge turnover. Each year we, we usually say that if you spend, for every dollar you spend on saves, you get it back about 67 cents on return. This year it was about 42 cents. Uh, it was just an amazing turnover of bullpens this year, and for me, that was that was the big story. Bullpen Armageddon, says Ron Chandler. Ray Murphy, what do you say? The big fantasy story of the year. I'm going to stay right with Ron and you know focus on that bullpen Armageddon. To me, the term I was using was closer roulette. And Patrick, I think you and I have talked about this on the show before, but 
My question is, in light of this trend and in light of the turnover we've seen in closer roles, you know, do MLB teams start managing the position differently, and how is that going to affect how we play these games? Ron cited that 23 out of the 30 teams have seen their closers change since the beginning of the season. However, all 23 of those teams, well, with a couple of exceptions, have settled on someone else to fill the role. And only occasionally, in I think the only case I can think of off the top of my head is Ernesto Freire in Los Angeles with the Angels. You know, they found in-house options who were able to stop the bleeding in that position. They started out with your Heath Bell, but then they ended up moving over to Steve Sijic, and he stabilized the role. So in cases like that, do MLB teams see what happened, and are they going to stop paying for closers? Are they going to stop giving $50 million to Jonathan Papelbon or 27 or whatever it was to Heath Bell? And are they going to start just sort of stockpiling internal options and figure that, much as we saw this year, over the first six or eight weeks of the season, they'll figure out who their closer is. And if that's the case, then you know, that's going to change how we play our games. Matt Beagle, are you in on bullpen Armageddon slash closer roulette? Well, I picked a different topic, but I'll comment on that one. I know as a simulation gamer for 30-some years, a lot of the things that we have been doing are coming out in reality. And one of the things was using your quality middleman as a closer for, for decades in Stratomatic, for example, before they had a special closer rating, uh, we were looking at walks and on-base percentage long before the mainstream were. Not that we're any better, but just when you look at things in a concrete format where the odds have already been calculated for and you start analyzing things, you start to see these kinds of trends. And a few years ago, it was paying the middle relievers more, understanding that they're just as valuable sometimes as the closer because they're used in high-leverage situations with the game on the line in earlier innings. And, of course, Bill James and the Red Sox uh, talked about doing that. They tried a little bit one year for a short period of time. But I think you're going to start seeing more ideas, just like the Colorado Rockies with their starting rotation had an unusual idea this year, and the jury's still on that one. But I think you're going to see more bullpen roles maybe being looked at from a different perspective. If you have a, a Joe Madden that's very respected and has an open mind, maybe might try something different where there's not a closer. It's whatever pitcher is rested if I've got three good relievers. Um, you, know, may, you may see some different things. What I thought was the story of the year was the advent of the daily leagues, that now we have the technology. It's a whole different format, and no matter how good or bad your team is, uh, in the middle of the summer or any time you want to spice things up, you're just tired of looking at the same guys, you can go on one of several different websites and for free pick your own fantasy team, have a chance to win a little bit of money. It's not about the money. It's about it's a unique game, and you can look at the matchups every single night, and the dollar values change. There's a salary cap. And I found that to be an interesting uh, respite sometimes if I was a little burnt out or bored. I know on a summer vacation, sort of where I discovered it near the All-Star break and started just dabbling in it and found it very fun, very easy to play, didn't take up a lot of time, and you get a new team every night. It's like draft day every night where you get the guys exactly you want. So I thought that was a real interesting addition to the industry that now we have the technology to very easily go on the website. It's easily tracked. There's real-time scoring a lot of times. Uh, so I thought that new format was really the fantasy story of the year. And before we go to Jock Thompson, I want to ask Ron Chandler about this. Ron, you're, you've been around this industry for an awful long time, and one of the big bones of contention about fantasy baseball and fantasy football has been how close it comes to the line of being gambling rather than being a game of skill. And when you get down to single nights of action, are is the fantasy industry starting to get a little bit too close to gambling for the for the comfort of uh, state and federal governments? Yeah, I think I think it actually is. And and uh, since the, uh, the the carve out in the language in this this law that was passed back in 2006 uh, came came to pass, where uh, uh, fantasy baseball, fantasy sports was determined not to be gambling, there were certain rules that were set down to determine what constitutes a game of chance and a game of skill. And uh, the definition for fantasy was that it had to include multiple, multiple games, multiple teams, um, and uh, so you couldn't just pick a team and and predict a team's performance and, and call that fantasy. But with the daily games now, it's a really big gray area, and I think all it will take is one. Uh, aggressive legislator who decides that this is gambling and at its core it really is uh, and, and to make a little bit more trouble for this industry again so I think we're, we're treading a really thin line here and have to be really careful 
Jock Thompson, what's your big fantasy story of the year? Well, I agree with everybody else on the uh, bullpen Ar- Armageddon angle. Um, obviously, um, I'm, I'm a, I, I take a news-oriented and West Coast-centric approach here. And uh, m- my biggest story is the Oakland rookie pitching. I mean, in the past, you could always get good early season numbers out of Oakland pitchers because of the park and the weather. But this year, no matter who you picked up, you did pretty well. Um, I, I don't know if it was Kurt Young coming back to Oakland or just – a confluence of, of players developing at the right time, but uh, it wasn't just limited to Jared Parker. Tommy Malone has had a great year. If you picked up uh, 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 even a guy like uh, uh, Travis Blackley in the middle of the year, you got six or seven good starts. Uh, uh, A.J. Griffin has been terrific, and if you want to go back to bullpen Ar- Armageddon, who's been better in the last two months of the season? Who's been a better closer than, than Grant Balfour? Who would have expected 14 saves in August and September and a 1.74 ERA in the second half. So um, I'm I'm amazed at what Oakland's done, and they've they've been terrific for my fantasy teams. All right, and uh, I'll throw in my big story of the year, which kind of echoes what Ron and Ray said, and everybody else agreed, and that is the decline of the closer in general, or the faster turnover. And I think this has real important long-term ramifications for the game, including perhaps how we decide to score it. Uh, because the saves are going to get more and more distributed as more and more general managers and front offices and field managers, I think, realize that the closer role is something of a, of a bogus role in the first place. I know some of the older managers, especially field managers, tend to believe really strongly that you have to have a guy like Jonathan Papelbon, but increasingly the proof is that you don't, that you can play mix and match, that you can take a guy with decent skills and roll him in there, and, and you may have two or three of those kind of guys on your roster, and if you do, your roster's probably stronger. And I think maybe not next year and maybe not the year after, but sometime down the road, the saves are going to get so distributed that maybe some people are going to start looking at their league scoring categories and say, we got to add holds. Or maybe they won't. Maybe they'll say it's better for for how we score because more guys can get saves. It's going to become more like home runs or stolen bases or something like that where there's a bit of a specialty to it, but maybe not necessarily a a real hard and fast role as it is as we currently uh, see it. Uh, Moving on, we're going to look at the American League. I suspect we're all going to be of a piece when we say, who was the fantasy rookie of the year in the American League? Ray Murphy. Yeah, I think there might be a lot of consensus here. I get to go first, and I'm going to you know nominate Mike Trout, who has been just you know unbelievable throughout the season. You know, maybe the most remarkable thing about him is you know that he started to slow down in September, and you know even the slowed down, diminished version of Mike Trout over the last couple of weeks is still pretty darn good. If he had been putting up, you know, I think he's got three homers and five stolen bases for September. If he had done that all year long, that might have been enough to secure the American League Rookie of the Year. But of course, he's done. So much more than that over the course of the year. You know, with a week to go, you have a couple games left. He's still got a shot at 30 home runs and 50 stolen bases on top of a 320 average. You know, one of the best you know performances from a 20 year old we've seen ever. So, you know, an easy vote for me. In fact, it's an easy vote for all of us. So, I'm going to turn the discussion a little bit, and we'll ask everybody else. Matt Beagle, what do you think of uh, Mike Trout for next year? Where does he where does he get drafted, and is he going to be worth it? Oh, he's going to be one of the top picks, and the question is. You know, is he worth it? There's no way he can go below with his his five category potential here. Uh, he's going to be one of the top picks, and the question is, can he maintain it? And I think uh, the level of his skills, there's going to be some decline. The question is, how much? Uh, I think what I find interesting about Trout is that his value was somewhat suppressed this year because of his struggles in 2011. That for once he might not have gotten bumped up and totally overpriced because of his. Uh, prospect status him and Bryce Harper you know were going for so much but in his case because his first case was struggling I think people got him at a reasonable price and that certainly won't happen next year Jock Thompson uh, LA Angels fan how high does Mike Trout go and is he worth it um, I tend to agree with what what Matt said I mean you can't you can't discount his speed and power combination and particularly the speed if you look at his, his stolen base success rate it's it's pretty much out of this world uh, uh, my only comment on Trout is is that he's been awfully fun to watch all year, and it's it's kind of surprising. I'm so used to him being just outstanding. It's it's a it's a little surprising for me to be as disappointed as I am in his play recently, and it's still really good. But uh, he right now he's chasing pitchers pitches that he never would have chased uh, in his in the first two three months he was playing, and uh, it's contributing to his uh, his uh, 
shall we call it a September swoon, even though as Ray points out, he's been, he's been pretty good. Uh, he, he's a great player, uh, and uh, uh, I, I expect more of the same next year. Well, like all of you, this was the easiest vote of all. Mike Trout is obviously the Rookie of the Year in the American League. And like all of you, apparently I think he's going to go in the top four or five in most drafts next year. I don't think he's going to be worth it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I don't think the power is real. Of course, the speed is a skill that is repeatable, but I don't think he's going to bat 320 or 310. as expected batting average is well below that, even allowing for his speed. And his September struggles make me think that maybe the league is starting to figure him out and he's going to have an adjustment period. Uh, Ron Chandler, you caused some controversy at BaseballHQ.com when you said that you thought Mike Trout might be next year's Eric Hosmer. Well, sure, why not? I mean, how often do we predict uh, a player's success based on four incredible months of productivity? And that's that's really what we're doing here. And prior to him getting this this uh, this year's major league call, you know, we we can't forget that he batted 220 in 123 at bats last year in the majors, and he batted only 245 in the Arizona Fall League against inferior competition last November, October and November. So, I mean, this this is not you know the uh, immediate Hall of Famer that we should be. Uh, proclaiming him, so uh, I, you know, I my philosophy is is that the, the taller the pedestal, the longer the fall, and I would not be surprised at all if he finishes uh, 2013 uh, significantly out of the first round because uh, everybody just has this this huge perception based upon what he's doing right now, and you know, with the recency bias and everything else. He's certainly going to go in the top five in most drafts, but I, I won't touch him anywhere near there. And I, you know, if I'm picking 15th in, in a 15-team mixed league and he drops to me, um, I would seriously still have to uh, consider whether I would go with someone who does not have a track record. Um, there are plenty of productive players out there who have long-term track records who I would be more willing to bet on. So, uh, yeah, be careful. Be careful out there. Still, even with that, he has had a fantastic 2012. He is our unanimous choice as the Fantasy Rookie of the Year in the American League. On the senior circuit, we have a much more mixed bag. Matt Beagle, start us off. Who's your Fantasy Rookie of the Year for the National? Well, I'm going to pick Bryce Harper, and not for his performance in 2012. I'm picking Bryce Harper because I think his emergence in the league, along with Mike Trout, make him another guy who's going to be extremely overvalued in drafts next year, he and Trout have proven that prospects can come up and they can succeed early on. And the overpricing most people do, they pay too much for prospects, is going to get even worse. So I think Harper is the MVP based on his impact on next year's drafts. I think people are going to be looking for the next Bryce Harper and the next Mike Trout. And this prospect hype machine is going to get even higher. I think in the last few years, several sites, including ours, have talked about that you have to discount these rookies because they're most likely going to struggle even in their sophomore season. The Eric Hosmer sophomore slump is things we've been talking about, that people don't just get better in a linear track. They tend to regress and then get better for a, at a higher high the second time around. So I think the, this Trout and Harper's success and publicity is going to make next year's prospects, the Jurics and Profar and Manny Machado, are going to be so overpriced, there's going to be such a high expectation that Harper and Trout have had such an impact this year, they're going to just blow the cost structures off of drafts next year in auctions. Jock Thompson, who's your National League Fantasy Rookie of the Year? I had, uh, I considered Harper as well. But I picked Lance Lynn, and, and, and the reason I picked Lynn is the surprise aspect. I mean, every, everyone saw Harper coming or, or thought they saw him coming. Lance Lynn projected to be in the, in the Cardinal bullpen this year, and he wound up being a starter. And how many rookie pitchers win 17 games and strike out 171, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, 171 batters in 171 innings um, coming out of nowhere like this. I mean, he was he was terrific. He took a little break in August and September from the bullpen. Seems to have righted the ship. Uh, I think he's a pretty good pitcher, and uh, unless he comes down with, with some sort of uh, uh, shoulder or elbow problems based on the, all the innings he's pitched this year, I think he's going to be good heading into 20, 2013 as well. Well, those are both good picks. I chose Todd Frazier of the Cincinnati Reds. Not only did he have a terrific season, a 900 OPS, 
But also, he really helped the Reds when they lost their superstar, Joey Votto. Votto went down. Everybody was wondering at that time, I'm sure, now what happens with the Reds with their big producer out. Frazier steps in, and the Reds reel off something like 20 straight games. Uh, he did a great job filling in for Votto. He also helped fill in for third baseman Scott Rowland, often injured. So Todd Frazier's my pick. Ron Chandler, who's your National League Rookie of the Year for Fantasy? Uh, my pick uh, for NL Rookie of the Year was actually Jose Altuve of the Astros. Uh, the thing I liked about Altuve, first of all, was that playing on the Astros, nobody was looking at Astros players coming into the season. We all knew that this was going to be a horrible team. Uh, prospecting for any productivity there, everyone usually focused on J.D. Martinez. Uh, but Altuve, you know, he was projected to be a six-dollar player this year. We didn't expect all that much. He ends up hitting, you know, a bunch of home runs, six home runs, steals 33 bases, batting close to 300, uh, earning this year 24 dollars on that six-dollar investment, and at a scarce position. Uh, so. It's always tough to fill your middle infield slots. If you invested in, in a guy like Altuve, you, it was very profitable. And for, for me, he would be my rookie of the year. And finally, Ray Murphy. Ray, we've got a four-way split so far. Can you break the tie or are you going to make it a five-way split? Well, I'm technically going to make it a five-way split, but I think that may not actually be true because I think we may have to go back and double-check on the eligibility of a couple of these guys. I'm pretty sure Altuve's not rookie eligible, and I'm not sure about when. But um, just to further muddy the waters, I'll throw my vote for Norchiki Aoki and the uh, Brewers, who has um, done a nice job in their outfield and you know emerged as a stolen base threat. Um, and uh, you know he also falls in the category of uh, guys who I think we may have actually not seen their best work yet. He's got a really nice skill set, and you know kind of like Mike Trout, we you know you, it took Aoki a little bit of time to get into the lineup this year. He didn't really become an everyday player until May. I think it was when uh, Matt Gamble got hurt that, you know, Corey Hart started moving to first base and that freed up a spot for Aoki. So he, um, you know, even though he has something like 28 stolen bases over the season, he took a little time to get it to the lineup, and he took even a little bit longer than that to get the green light on the base paths. So he's stolen, like, 26 bases of his, of his 28 in his last, like, 380 or 400 at-bats. That's a, that's a real stolen base source, uh, you know, that maybe it's not fully appreciated yet. So in terms of... Uh, you know, he, you know, he's not totally a one-impact guy. He does have 10 home runs this year, but in terms of a uh, you know, future impact player in a uh, scarce artistry category like stolen bases, I think uh, you know, I'd like to see more from Mayuki going forward, and he gets my vote for this year. All right, guys, we've picked our Rookies of the Year in both leagues, and the big fantasy story is, appears to be the bullpens as well as the, uh, the daily league drafts that Matt Beagle mentioned. Uh, we'll stop here. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about the biggest busts of the year uh, in fantasy baseball. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Why to attend First Pitch Arizona? Reason number 17. You're one of us. Initially, I was really worried. I don't know if I'm going to fit in. I don't know any of the guys personally. You also get a chance to rub elbows with people who are fantasy players just like yourself that are just really dedicated to the game. And a lot of people will tell you that they've developed friendships. I would say I probably enjoy the camaraderie with the fellows that I've gotten to become very good friends with over time. You'll fit right in. We're just a bunch of guys and a few girls who love to watch and talk baseball. We're in our 20s and 50s and, yes, even 80s. And we wear Marlins caps and Cubs t-shirts and Angels jerseys. We'll even let you in if you're a Yankees fan. It's as if you're, you're, you're hanging out with old friends, even if you've never met any of these guys. First Pitch, Arizona, November 2nd to 4th at the Double Tree Suites Hotel in Phoenix. Go to BaseballHQ.com slash seminars slash Arizona for more information and to register. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with our Baseball HQ Roundtable, talking about the big stories and the big performances of 2012 for fantasy baseball. I'm joined by BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler, managing director Ray Murphy, uh, news director Jock Thompson, and Baseball HQ Radio American League analyst and Market Pulse columnist Matt Beagle. And guys, let's talk about the biggest bust among all the pitchers in Major League Baseball this year, and we'll start with Matt Beagle. I think Ricky Romero has to take this honor. He was improving every year, three years in the league, an established pitcher. Uh, his expected ERA pretty much supported his level, maybe not 292, but this year he just lost it all. His control went awry, walking two more batters per nine innings. 
5.2 batters per nine innings, and his uh, dominance, his strikeout rate went down one batter per nine innings. So I think a lot of people paid top dollar expecting him to maintain the 2011 performance or take one step further. But uh, all those innings with such a with a 5.76 ERA uh, really hurt a lot of fantasy teams. Jock Thompson. Well, I had Ricky Romero as well, and but since so many people it seemed like were picking Romero, I shifted it for Josh Beckett, and here's the reason. Uh, not just that Beckett was more high profile, but we actually in the forecaster picked Beckett for a better season than Romero, a slightly better season. Uh, he has a, a higher pedigree than Romero does, obviously, and uh, his crash really set the tone in Boston. Now, I realize I'm mixing fantasy and, and real baseball, but there are a lot of people who bit up Josh Beckett, thought he was going to be the same high strikeout guy, that he was going to return to health and, and do great things, and it never happened. So uh, Ricky Romero is a good pick. I'm going with Josh Beckett. All right, comes around to me. I'm going with Ricky Romero of the Blue Jays. Uh, we projected him before the season at about a 356, 130, and about 11 bucks worth. He went for $15 in the tout mix draft. And, of course, as somebody mentioned, he's 590 for an ERA, 160 for a whip, and a minus $30 total. A minus $30 total is enough to kill practically any pitching staff in any kind of fantasy situation. Ron Chandler? Yeah, I'm right on board with Romero as well. I mean, going from a plus $22 last year to a minus 30 this year, nearly a $50 swing in value from one year to the next is just brutal. Uh, I don't know any other pitcher that uh, has had such a swing in, in over the course of one season, especially since uh, their their trends were on an upswing. He was improving uh, uh, over the last couple of years, so um, uh, this is regression to the max, uh, <laughs> and makes you really wonder what to expect for next year. So uh, yeah, Romero's my guy too. Yeah, that that I think that was what really tipped the balance for me amongst a, a number of candidates was that Romero was coming into this season with everything going in the right direction, and for it to have turned around so abruptly was just such a shock that I, I couldn't pick anybody but Ricky Romero. Ray Murphy, how about you? I'll go in a different direction than you know. Jock was talking about pedigree, and to me, one guy who's been absolutely terrible this year with a higher pedigree than Romero, a higher pedigree than Beckett even, is uh, Tim Lincecum. You know, he was... You know, the source of much hand-wringing early in the season, and you know things just never really got better. There was a stretch, you know, just recently it ended this week with a blow-up, but before that, you know, he had had six or seven straight, you know, PQS dominant starts. But if you look behind the numbers there, you know, he's still not back to what he was. You know, his you know walk strikeout rate the last couple of months is under two. The velocity is still down. You know, this you know. For sure, for the season, the overall numbers aren't as bad as they look, with, even though with an ERA over five, his expected ERA is still under four. So, you know, he's not, he may not be as diminished as it appears from his numbers, but this is still a dramatic fall from grace. And just like Romero sunk a lot of fantasy seasons, if you look around NL only leagues or anybody who drafted Wintergum in the third or fourth round or spent 25 bucks for him at a mixed league auction, you know, that's a season killer every bit as much as Romero is. So I'll, uh, I'll cast my vote in that direction. Maybe even worse because chances are they spent double or a much higher round on Linscombe than they would have uh, for Romero. On the batting side, guys, uh, let's look at the biggest bust there and start with Jock Thompson. I picked uh, I picked Dan Ugla in Atlanta. Now, we all knew that Ugla was a batting average risk. Uh, we didn't know he was going to be a two seventeen hitter and that he was going to get 512 at-bats. Um, and while even if he hit two seventeen, we were expecting the usual 25, 30 home runs, he didn't do that this year. He had 19 home runs. Uh, he went from a, a $20, $30 player right now to an, to an $11 player. Uh, he was terrible, and, and he didn't do anything all year. I won the coin flip to get this next player with uh, Ray Murphy because we, we both wanted to make the same joke, and it is this. Uh, we both picked Pablo Sandoval, not only because he's the player who was the biggest bust, but the player who has the biggest bust. A $23 bid in Tout Wars. He was a $23 projected player in Forecaster. Chances are he's going to finish around 5 bucks. Uh, didn't look like anything other than a, than Dom DeLuise playing Major League Baseball out there and, and cost a lot of teams heavily. Ron Chandler, who's your biggest bust among the batters? Uh, my biggest bust was uh, Lance Barkman. Um, you know, he had gone through several seasons where it looked like he was on his decline, and then last year, in 2011, he had this huge bounce-back season, uh, 31 homers, 301 batting average. We thought, 
you know, even though he didn't get 500 at bats, that he was back to being a productive player again. Um, and we even tempered our projections to account for his injury history. We only projected 400 at bats for him, but that was clearly not enough. Um, he's 36 years old, and I guess he's the epitome of, of the phrase, once you display a deficiency, you own that too, because uh, basically it's been a completely lost season for him, and now he's talking about retirement. So anybody who uh, invested $15, $20 in him this year took a complete bath. Ray Murphy, I kind of gave away your vote, but explain why Pablo Sandoval was it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You know, like, to, just to take a bit of a longer-term view of Sandoval, it's, you know, you had that you know terrific rookie season first full season in the majors in 2009 when he hit 330 and then you know 2010 you know we started to hear the weight rumors and you know even though the uh giants won the world series that year he wasn't a major contributor to that and then he came back last year you know in 2011 and you know immediately he came to training camp and he was you know more in shape and he just looked different and he got back to the 2009 version and you kind of thought that you know all was right going forward and you know it looked like coming into this year that the you know the blow up in terms of weight and poor performance in 2010 was the aberration and then he's gone right back to that he's a really you know weight jokes aside there really is a yo-yo element to his performance that correlates closely with his weight and you know just from a future performance perspective you almost can't create a 2013 projection for him until you get a weight number on him next february when he gets to training camp i don't know what to do with him going forward matt beagle uh, who's your biggest bust well, I think along the same lines as Jock with Dan Ugla, I picked Ryan Rayburn uh, only because his batting average was even worse, 171. Uh, he didn't have as many at-bats as Ugla, but still uh, approaching 200 at-bats, and I think a lot of people expected home runs out of him. He only had one. Uh, he was supposed to be a key part of that Tiger team. And so for the first two months of the season, if you're riding Ryan Rayburn, you're way behind your batting average category because he was playing every day and dragging your batting average way down without contributing a thing otherwise. All right, so our consensus pick is the biggest bust among the pitchers, Ricky Romero, and kind of a minor consensus, I guess, for Pablo Sandoval as the biggest bust among the batters. When we come back, we'll be talking about our fantasy Cy Youngs in both leagues. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Why to attend First Pitch Arizona? Reason number 58. The stadiums are empty. I do like going to the baseball games and seeing players in an environment where Maybe there are 200 people in the stands with you at most. You can pretty much get any seat in the house. Front row behind home plate, it's yours. Hang out with the scouts and their radar guns. Front row behind the dugout, it's yours. Get a first-hand earful of what the coaches are telling the players. You have an opportunity to go down right by the dugout. Oftentimes the players will come and talk to you because they're at a point in their careers where they don't know how important or how famous or how they're really supposed to act. Josh Reddick, what a terrific kid. I talked to him right before the game. Now I'm sitting behind home plate. His first two batting appearances, he struck out. Third appearance, he hit one over the right field wall. And as he crossed home plate, we made eye contact, and he gives me a thumbs up. Now, come on. He doesn't know who I am. <laughs> he doesn't know who I am. First pitch, Arizona, November 2nd to 4th at the Double Peace Suites Hotel in Phoenix. Go to BaseballHQ.com slash seminars slash Arizona for more information and to register. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick Davitt with our panel of experts from BaseballHQ.com talking about the baseball fantasy baseball awards for the year. We're going to turn to the fantasy Cy Young, the best pitcher of the year in the American League. We'll start. Uh, Jock Thompson, who's your pick for the fantasy Cy Young? Uh, I think... Pick David Price, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but he's leading the AL in ERA and strikeouts. I mean, what more are we looking for here? He was he was just terrific. It's fairly straightforward. My vote goes to Jake Peavy, and uh, the reason is I think David Price and, and some of the other candidates we're going to hear about would have gone for top dollar, and Jake Peavy was a gamble. I think he went for $4 or $5 in tout. Wasn't uh, expected to be much higher than that in the forecaster, and instead he's a $20, $21 pitcher this year. A real bounce-back year for a former Cy Young candidate, a former Cy Young winner, I should say, and uh, Jake Peavy gets my vote. Ron Chandler, how about you? Um, I agree with Jock. I also had David Price. Um, and you're right that we usually don't find profit in your, your top-level players, but we actually did with Price this year. He he earned about $19 last year. We had projected him for about 2021. He's returning over $30 in value this year, so it's 
over $10 worth of profit, even with a, a high price bid for price this year. And, and, and given everything he's done, and his second half has been phenomenal. He's got a 2.17 ERA in the second half with a near five strikeout-to-walk ratio. He's He's been the class of the league as far as I'm concerned. Ray Murphy? I'll stay in Tampa, but cast a different vote. Uh, you know, And again, especially if we start talking about pure profit, uh, it's hard to overlook what Fernando Rodney did, you know, providing uh, you know, forty plus saves, a sub one ERA, a sub one WHIP, all for a guy who was either a re- probably a reserve round pick or a one dollar end gamer, or maybe even picked up the first first or second week of the season. Uh, you know, and especially you know, going back to the top of show, top of the show, we talked about the closer roulette and how hard it was to find saves this year, and how you almost had to spend the entire early part of the season chasing the flavor of the week closer. Locking up that 46 saves and, you know, those fantastic ratios that even in across 70 innings have a great impact on your ERA and whip. Outside of Mike Trout, if you look at it in terms of standing gains, standing gained points, Fernando Rodney may have had as much impact on fantasy teams this year as anybody. Matt Beagle, uh, you got a different vote or you're going to support one of the others? Uh, I got a different vote, and after hearing Ray, I think he makes a very persuasive argument. I'm going to go with the obvious for once in Justin Verlander. He actually had 30 more strikeouts than David Price. He had three less wins, but he had a much lower whip, 1.06 versus 110, over 30 more innings. So you leverage those 231 innings with a 106 whip, and he not only helped you in ERA, whip, and lead in strikeouts, but I think I'd rather have that that I can predict as opposed to the wins that, that we know are obviously are very much less predictable. So I, I think Verlander, while he's the obvious choice and one that uh, had such a great year in 2011, I think the ones that paid for him got their money's worth, and I think that uh, that's what you expect from your ace starter. So we have four different names there, and actually I almost cast a vote for Chris Sale, also of the White Sox, before I settled on Jake Peavy. Chris Sale had a pretty interesting year with his bouncing back and forth from closer to starter and finishing up as a very effective starter as well. Uh, We do have a much greater degree of unanimity about the fantasy Cy Young winner in the National League. Uh, I start this one off, R.A. Dickey of the Mets. I mean, what can you say about R.A. Dickey? 20 wins, uh, all those strikeouts for a knuckleball pitcher, just a great year. Ron Chandler? Yeah, of course, I'll echo that as well. You know, one of the things we always look at early in the season is, is our first-round picks, and, and we always, uh, you know, we try to predict who's going to finish in the first round each year, and, and our track record has been pretty poor. What we have found during re- doing research is that about 80% of the players who end up earning first-round value come from the first four rounds that we draft from each year. R.A. Dickey wasn't even a top 300 last year. I mean, he was so far off our radar, uh, and now he's in the top 15 first-round value pick. Uh, It's just phenomenal what he's done this year uh, and the impact he's had on fantasy teams. And as a Mets fan, I have to tell you, a 20-game winner on this club, a losing ball club, I mean, one little thing that we have to, to, to thank be thankful for this year. It kind of almost makes me remember back to 1972 when Steve Carlton won 27 games for a Phillies team that won only 59. Um, anytime you have a 20-game winner on a team that's a losing ball club, you, ha- you have to say something about that. A tremendous performance by R.A. Dickey and a feel-good story as well. Ray Murphy, uh, are you also on the R.A. Dickey bandwagon? I am, and you know, to move on from Ron's point and try to figure out what we do with a 37, I think next year, 38-year-old knuckleballer who's never had anything approaching this kind of success. How do you figure out what he's going to do going forward? And, you know, one of our sort of uh, projecting axioms for a long time has been knuckleballers don't follow the rules. And, you know, if there's a better example of that than what we saw from Dickey this year, I, I can't think of what it is. It, you know, it reminds me of a lot of what uh, Tim Wakefield did when he arrived in Boston in uh, 1995 off the scrap heap. And, you know, for that matter, what he did when he first emerged in Pittsburgh, too. And, you know, that may be an illustrative example going forward as far as, you know, Wakefield had some more good years, but they you know, were erratic and out of nowhere and in different roles. So, you know, I am weary of the idea that Dickey is going to be significantly overvalued at the draft table next year. But, you know, he's a knuckleballer. We can't do anything other than write a projection in pencil anyway. Matt Beagle, you're a R.A. Dickey supporter, too. I wonder what you think of him for 2013. Uh, I just think there's no way you can predict. It's knuckleballers defy all the conventional wisdom, whether it's scouting or statistical analysis. Uh, I'd also throw a bone out as a runner-up to just mention Johnny Cueto, 
who struck out an extra batter per nine innings and walked only 2.1. He's lowered his walk rate by half a batter per nine innings. So his 3.4 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio, along with a 49% ground ball rate, I think in that ballpark in Cincinnati uh, has to least be mentioned in the conversation i'm glad to mention uh, any cincinnati red in any awards conversation we have four straight votes for ra dickie jock is it unanimous yeah it's unanimous uh i can't add anything to anyone else's said here dickie is dickie is the guy love those 37 38 year old knuckleballers <laughs> indeed and uh you know they don't age the same as everybody else so it will be interesting to see how he goes in 2013 so that's our fantasy cy youngs for the american and national league ra dickie our unanimous choice in the national when when we come back we'll talk about the fantasy mvps and our breakout picks for 2013 this is baseball hq radio why to attend first pitch arizona reason number 23 you know every year i i, I look at the list of guys who are going down there and i think wow that's an amazing list of players we uh we took a ride down at the scottsdale ballpark and there's some some pretty big guy playing third base did a ball that i don't know has has come down yet we you know who is that guy and someone goes, Pujol, Pujol, something like that, Al, Albert Pujol. Those of us that went to the conference, after seeing him launch a couple of rockets, had him on our rosters for his rookie season. Dan Ugla. And nobody had ever heard of him. And lo and behold, the next year he's hitting 25 home runs in the major leagues. So uh, it's a great opportunity to watch young players and get some insight into uh, where they are in their development and how they might help your team in the future. And uh, um, it's it's always fun to watch the, the young prospects. You know, every year the, the quality of the players down there is just amazing. First pitch, Arizona, November 2nd to 4th at the Double T Suites Hotel in Phoenix. Go to baseballhq.com slash seminars slash Arizona for more information and to register. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David here with our baseballhq.com experts roundtable talking about the fantasy baseball season and the performers that we like to think had the best years and in some cases the worst years. Before we carry on with that, though, Ron Chandler, we've been playing these promos for First Pitch Arizona. Uh, tell us about the last-minute deadline that people can still save some dough. Uh, yeah, we're only about five weeks away from this year's program. Uh, this year's uh, three-day uh, adventure out in Phoenix, uh, November 2nd through 4th. Uh, this Sunday is our final early bird uh, deadline. You can still save $100 on registration to First Pitch Arizona. Uh, also, last-minute piece of news, we've added another speaker to our program. Uh, Jonathan Mayo from uh, MLB.com will be uh, uh, doing our Arizona Fall League scouting report this year, our, one of our opening sessions on Friday. So we're uh, uh, really uh, happy to welcome him to, to our speaker slate this year. It's going to be an amazing event, as always. You know, Three days out in the sun watching ball games, seeing top prospects. Uh, you want to see Billy Hamilton run the bases or Jerickson Profar, they'll be out there. You can have a front row seat behind the dugout or behind home plate. Uh, and, and three uh, mornings of seminar sessions and Saturday afternoon uh, uh, fantasy leagues. We, we would draft some uh, leagues on, on Saturday afternoon. So uh, great event in a few weeks. Uh, I uh, welcome everybody to join us. Once again, you can save 100 bucks if you get in there before Sunday, September 30th. To get your registration, go to BaseballHQ.com. Now, Ron, uh, we're going to ask you to go first here in the American League. Who is your fantasy most valuable player for 2012? Uh, well, uh, in the American League, I, uh, you know, the, the regular MVP vote, there's big discussions going on now between uh, Mike Trout and uh, Miguel Cabrera. But for fantasy purposes, Trout has to be the guy this year. Uh, he came into the season with an average draft position of 228. He's going to finish number one. Uh, he was drafted for about a buck in, in most leagues where he was available to be drafted during draft day. He's, he's going to return about $45 uh, in less than a full season. Uh, one of the things that's interesting, I've been trying to look back off the top of my head to, to find any comps, player comparable players uh, in, in recent history that are even close to the numbers that he's put up. And The first name that I had thought about was Eric Davis. He put up similar power and speed numbers in, in the 90s, but his batting average wasn't anything close to what Trout's doing. The closest comp I've come up with is Ricky Henderson's 1990 season when he hit 28 home runs, stole 65 bases, and batted 325. But he did that at age 31. Uh, Henderson also had two other similar seasons, but with lower batting averages. So Trout is, is so far... Uh, 
so far away from anything else that we've seen in the last few decades. Uh, all the more reason that you're going to have to expect a good deal of regression next year, but uh, it's just an, been an amazing season for him this year, and he's clearly uh, the American League fantasy MVP as far as I'm concerned. Ray Murphy? Can't disagree with any of that. Trout gets my vote, too. And if you start, you know, and Ron hit on a key point, is if you try to figure out where he goes from here, the lack of comparisons to anyone doing anything like this at his age before makes it, you know, very hard to draw a projection from, you know, comparable performances. And, you know, it's very common this year as the season has gone on to point to the early 20s breakouts of, maybe 20 or 21-year-old breakouts of, you know, people like Alex Rodriguez or Ken Griffey Jr., who frequently gets comped with uh, this Mike Trout season. But, you know, on the other hand, you know, there's this other aspect of the curve that we at least have to be aware of, and I'm not saying Trout goes this way, but the other, you know, the other track you can see is, you know, the guy who comes to mind for me is Andrew Jones, where, you know, age 21, 22 were kind of his best seasons. And then, you know, he plateaued for a while, and he waited for this peak that never really came. So you sort of can't take a performance like this at this age and then apply a normal aging curve to it because then you start saying, oh, in six years from now, Trout's going to be a 40-80 guy, and it's just not going to work that way. You know, we don't have enough data to, you know, to draw that line with any confidence, but you know, the, the regression to the mean and the, uh, the gravity principle have to be the overriding considerations here. So as much as I love to watch Trout, and you know, I don't want to scare Jock or anything you know, into thinking that he's not going to get the same Mike Trout next year, you know, we have to consider a very wide range of future outcomes as far as where he goes from here. It is an interesting uh, situation to consider because while you have regression pushing him backwards, you'd think, on the one hand, you have physical maturity and, and growth uh, pushing him forward and better. And on the other hand, it is going to be very interesting, and it's going to be an interesting question for people to make some decisions next year at draft. Uh, Matt Beagle, did you go with Mike Trout? I certainly understand all the arguments, and I can't really argue with it. I chose Edwin Encarnacion just because I think so many managers were burned by him in the past that he came very inexpensively at draft day. He qualified at first and third base coming into the season based on his 2011 eligibility and, in, and came out of nowhere to hit 42 homers, 110 RBIs, even stole 13 bases, and put up a decent 285 batting average. So I think, uh, again, for the buck, Edwin Encarnacion was as good as anybody in the league uh, this year, we did predict that he had the upside of 30 homers in the baseball forecaster. We knew he had the power, but he's showed those signs for the last five years. And lots of managers have followed the pundits and tried to predict this breakout year. And I think most everyone had finally given up. And I think Encarnacion's year this year uh, allowed people to actually profit from him. Uh, and uh, I think that that puts him up there in the class with any other player in the league as far as profit goes. Yeah, he went for $9 in uh, in Tout Wars Mixed, and I was the guy who bowed out at, at $9. I should have gone 10 I guess. Uh, Jock Thompson, I'm going to guess you're sticking with the uh, L.A. Angel Mike Trout. Yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna cast a, a SoCal Homer Angel vote for Trout. Um, I, obviously, I'm, I echo everything that Ron and, and Ray said, but the, the combination of, of performance and profit, uh, you, just, you just can't beat it what he did for fantasy owners. He impacted more fantasy races than anybody this year. I was going to vote for Mike Trout, but then I started thinking about one of the dictums that we have at BaseballHQ.com is you have to score with your top-round pick. And Miguel Cabrera, for me this year, was the absolute epitome of that. If you had somebody you wanted to spend 35 bucks on or, or a first or second overall pick and you really wanted to be as sure as you could, given all of the uncertainty that Ron Chandler talked about earlier, how often these guys fall out of the top 15 or all the way down into, into the netherworld, I just thought it was really important to point out that Miguel Cabrera, year in and year out, is always value for money. And never more than this, this year, I don't put a lot of stock in Triple Crown. It's important, of course, for... Uh, for fantasy purposes, to have such great uh, results in those three categories. Of course, he's not a stolen base threat and wasn't much of a defender, but he did qualify at third, which helps. I just picked Miguel Cabrera because I like the idea that there's there's a certain amount of value in feeling comfortable with your overall top pick. So uh, it's going to be a Mike Trout win, but with some honorable mentions, shall we say, for Edwin Encarnacion and Miguel Cabrera. Uh, how about in the National League, uh, fantasy most valuable player, Ray Murphy? Yeah, before I go to that, one last point that uh, Matt made about Edwin Encarnacion that I wanted to make, and you know, I'd say this as a Mike Trout owner, Mike Trout is uh, on my labor mixed league roster where I'm battling for the win 
you know, in the last couple of days thanks in no small part to Trout's contribution. But, you know, Matt makes a good point that Encarnacion is, you know, an example of owners preaching patience and seeing, you know, pot- potential for a breakout. If you won your league because you owned Edwin Encarnacion and he put you over the top, I'd basically give you more credit than if you won because you lucked into Mike Trout because nobody could reasonably see this Mike Trout thing coming. But, you know, if you were the one who stuck with Encarnacion and read the tea leaves for the last couple of years and thought that he had this in him, hey, I'll give you all the credit in the world for that one. Anyway, on to the National League. Uh, my vote goes to Chase Headley. Um, who, you know, basically hit like they moved the fences in in San Diego this year, even though they didn't actually do that. You know, he was a guy coming in this year who could give you a little bit of batting average and some stolen bases that could help you from a position where you don't usually find that in third base. And, you know, for some people that might be the only reason they rostered him in the later stages of the draft is because they were trying to round off a stolen base deficit or something like that. Meanwhile, then he goes nuts and, you know, spikes his home run for five ball weight rate to a level we've never seen before manages to find a swing that somehow drives, drives the ball out of Petco on a consistent basis, and before you know it, you've got a, you know, what's probably going to end up with a 30-home-run, 15-stolen-base season out of a fairly scarce position at third base. So I will go with Chase Headley as my National League MVP. Matt Beagle? Well, first I'm going to take the congratulations from Ray and then thank him because I did win one of my points leagues by taking Edwin Encarnacion uh, rather late in the draft. So thank you, Ray. I'm glad to take that. And I also will say that, uh, Patrick was voting for Miguel Cabrera because I didn't outbid him at the Arizona Fall League for that jersey that you have, Patrick. I haven't forgot about that. I was going to bid higher on the Miguel yeah, Cabrera right. jersey and saw that Patrick was on it, so I didn't. And instead I have a Ryan Zimmerman here that hasn't done nearly what Cabrera has done as the next Albert Pujols. It's so funny. First pitch, we talk about Arizona. There's also the spring training first pitches, and it was in preparation for that that I started comparing Cabrera's numbers to Albert Pujols a few years ago. And uh, most of the people at first pitch in the Northeast that year got to hear that Cabrera is the next Albert Pujols. He is doing what Pujols is doing without the publicity. For the National League, I'm going to select R.A. Dickey based on price for performance for most of the reasons we talked about in the Cy Young section. Again, not somebody that cost very much in a draft, but boy, did he certainly put up a, a year that any pitcher, it would take you to any NL League title in any NL League that you'd be in with those kind of stats, totally out of the blue for just a few bucks. Jock Thompson? I'm going to take the lazy choice here, and, and that would be Ryan Braun. I mean, I, I it's kind of a personal thing with me. I traded Braun out of my dynasty league it, it was amazing how how people got scared off with the with the steroid thing uh and and i couldn't find a buyer for him or at least a buyer who would give me give me a, a good value i wound up keeping matt kemp and justin upton because it, we, we play in a cap league and uh, braun was pretty expensive after last year and of course i wound up not finishing first this year because i kept the wrong players uh, Ryan Braun is leading the National League in home runs and RBIs. He's fifth in batting. He's got 29 stolen bases. Uh, he's returning great value again. Uh, obviously, if he's clean, uh, it doesn't matter whether he's clean or not because he's putting up another fantastic year. I chose Buster Posey of San Francisco, and the reason was because while I, I, I liked uh, – Ryan Braun, and I especially liked Andrew McCutcheon, who had a terrific year in Pittsburgh. Buster Posey's a catcher, and they're just really hard to fill that spot with this kind of of excellent production. We had him pegged for about a $12 season in the forecaster. He went for a little more than that at Tout Mixed. He's going to be a $25 to $30 player when the dust settles at the end of the season, and he's dragged his team uh, being the offensive engine of a team that's going to be in the playoffs. So all the way around, I liked Buster Posey a lot as the most valuable player in the league. Uh, And finally, Ron Chandler, who's your National League MVP pick? Uh, I'm going to agree with Ray on Chase Headley. Uh, He was a guy who uh, had an ADP coming into the season of 243. He's right now at 16. He was uh, projected for $10. He's right now returning $30. And, and he's a guy I think I kind of had on my radar for a while. Um, uh, you know, he was uh, in, in uh, 2007. He, he had 20 home runs with a 3.30 batting average in San Antonio Double A. Uh, even though it's a hitters league, um, it was still a, a pretty good performance. The following year in Portland and Triple A, and and also part of the season in San Diego, he had 22 homers with a 2.85 batting average. So here he is at age 28, and he's finally breaking out. I think. Um, I think we, we probably should have expected it. I know in my keeper league I had him and I lost patience with him and ended up cutting him, which I'm kind of kicking myself for. But uh, uh, here's someone who's highly profitable this year, and I, I, I think he would be my MVP in the NL. All right, so Chase Headley gets two votes to everybody else's one. And we'll close this show in the round table with the 2013 breakout or sleeper, pitcher, or hitter. 
and I'm going to go first. I'd like to draw everybody's attention to Zach Britton of the surprising Baltimore Orioles. He's not my pick, but uh, boy, take out some of his bad starts, and this guy has some very impressive totals of ground balls and strikeouts. But my pick for next year is going to be Jeff Samarja of the Chicago Cubs. This guy has a 9.6 dom in each of the final three months of this season. He's got, I think, according to... uh, Stephen Nickrand, BaseballHQ.com, starting pitching buyer's guide columnist. There's a 350 ERA upside, and I don't think it's that far away. Another thing I really like about Samarja is that they've brought him along fairly slowly. He's 27 years old, so there's very little injury risk. He has never been on the DL. I think Jeff Samarja could be a guy you could grab in the 6th, 7th, 8th rounds, or maybe 6 7 bucks next year because people are going to look at the Cubs and they're going to say, I don't want any part of it. And maybe they don't like Notre Dame football either, but I think this could be a guy to keep an eye on. Ron Chandler, who's your 2013 breakout or sleeper? Well, I think I'm also going to go looking for a, a diamond on a losing ball club, and, and my pick is going to be uh, Salvador Perez on, on the on KC Royals. I mean, it's great productivity for a catcher, and I think his stats have been kind of been a little hidden in the two abbreviated uh, appearances he's made in the major leagues last year and this. But if he can stay healthy, and of course that's a huge if, this is a guy with a 90% contact rate. He's got upside of 20 homers, possible 300 batting average for a catcher. I think either next year or the year after, again, if he stays healthy, this is a future top five catcher here. And, and at a scarce position like that, I think that's someone, something you take a, take a chance and speculate on. Ray Murphy? I'll cast a vote for uh, Peter Borjos out there in front of Jock Snows and Angel Country, you know, he got a little bit, uh, for lack of a better description, while he pipped by um, by Mike Trout this year, and you know, he may have been bothered by a uh, you know hip problem that got disclosed in spring training that he may have to get cleaned up. But uh, you know, whether his future is still in Anaheim or if he gets moved somewhere this winter, you know, th- at this time last year there was a ton of reason why we liked him going into 2012, and you know, there was uh, you know we may just have to give him a mulligan on this year and t- and say that you know. The- a bunch of factors conspired to make this a sort of a lost season for him, but the reasons why we still like him are still intact, and we still think there can be uh, you know decent batting average and you know double-digit home runs and 30-plus stolen bases out of him, and he will be, because he was all but absent for this season, he'll be off of a lot of people's radars next spring and be able to be acquired at a point that gives you a lot of profit potential. Matt Beagle? I agree with Ray uh, in a lot of respects. I think the Angels there with Trumbo coming back down to earth, Hunter and Wells getting older, Hunter's a free agent, I believe, and that's going to create a tremendous opportunity. There's a reason they didn't trade Borges, and I think you'll probably see that next year. My pick is actually, I tend to go for the veterans who I know have proven skills I think will come back. And I picked John Lester, even though Ray's in Boston and watches him all the time. I see a guy here who's got a 66% strand rate and a 14% home run per fly ball rate. He's maintained a 2.5 to 1 strikeout to walk ratio. He's just been getting less strikeouts and less fly balls. So I think this is a pitcher who's learning how to pitch. He improved significantly in the second half in a very difficult season to pitch in in Boston with all the turmoil going up there. And I think getting a new start, having his head straight, this guy's proven uh, with his health issues that he can come back from just about anything. And I expect that mental toughness to show next year uh, with John Lester coming back to return to form. And finally, Jock Thompson, who's your 2013 breakout or sleeper? I'm going to take Starlin Castro of Chicago. Now, a lot of people have been down on him because he he, he seems to get distracted and there's there's still some holes in his game. But if you look at his month-to-month progression, and, and remember that he's just 22, uh, he really did improve almost across the board. His uh, his walk rate moved up to eight percent from three uh, percent from the in the second half over the first. Uh, his power improved. You can see you can see incremental moments where he he got distracted uh, at times this year. But but again, this guy's a shortstop. He's he's still real young. Um, he he hasn't filled out yet. Uh, this is a guy I think that could be a a 2040 player if not next year the year after so uh, i really like him all right guys this has been fantastic i hope your leagues all went well and really appreciate it and of course we'll talk to you again we'll be back with baseball hq radio in december to start talking about the winter meetings and and get rolling for the 2013 planning process as we look forward to another year of fantasy baseball so thanks very much to ron chandler Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, it's It's been great. I uh, hope everyone had a great season. And if you're still reading the box scores this weekend, that means it's been good. So uh, uh, good luck to everyone. Ray Murphy. Thanks, as always, Patrick. Great year on the show. Enjoyed every episode. 
Matt Beagle, our American League columnist at Baseball HQ Radio, thanks for a, a whole season and thanks for this. Enjoy it every time, Patrick. And Jock Thompson, thank you. Out in the West Coast, you have to get up early a lot of times to do this. Yeah, I do, but it's real easy, PD. And uh, everybody out there listening to this, hope we see you at uh, Arizona Fall League in early November at First Pitch. First Pitch Arizona, the most fun you can have outside of draft day. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of September the 29th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 35, the final show of the 2012 fantasy baseball season. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio, and do take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show and leave a comment if you like. I also want to thank our guests today on our BaseballHQ.com Roundtable Edition, starting with the founder of BaseballHQ.com and our HQ Radio Masternotes commentator, Ron Chandler. Also, BaseballHQ.com Managing Director and Speculator Columnist, Ray Murphy. News Director and Team Analyst, Jock Thompson. And Baseball HQ Radio American League Analyst and Market Pulse Commentator, Matt Beagle. Of course, we also had planned to have our National League Commentator, Harold Nichols, from Baseball HQ Radio. But Nick's up to his hips in water dealing with the floods that took place in the southeastern United States, so keep Nick in your thoughts. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. And remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook, and our Twitter feed is at BaseballHQ. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again in December with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.